Good morning. As we uh, come now to look at the scripture, let's just ask the Lord to bless our time. And Lord, we thank you for this day, and we need you, Holy Spirit, to open the Word of God to our understanding. Give us gladness and happiness of heart as we trust in the reality of Christ. We pray for those who are here today who are not uh, sure of their relationship with you. They're not even sure that there's a God. They're that you would speak to them, that you would, by your outstretched arm, Almighty God, uh, lead people in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going through this theme of helping broken people treasure Jesus. And by that we mean that, that, that only people who understand their need, our need, your need, my need. Only people who understand their need run to Christ. That if an individual thinks that, that being a follower of Christ is kind of an add-on to their life to give them a culturally acceptable or familially acceptable position, they will never treasure Jesus. Only people who understand their need, i.e. their brokenness, run to Christ. So is helping broken people, that'd be us, treasure Jesus. And really a, a larger thing would be helping broken people treasure Jesus so that they continually taste the goodness of the gospel of grace and walk in happiness and delight. So you just, that, that's it. And I said last week, I gave you a quote from a guy named Jonathan Edwards who died in 1758, who said this, and it's a mind-boggling statement. He said, God created man for this very end that he might communicate his happiness to him. Wow, yeah, really? I mean, God created man for this very end that he might communicate his happiness, his fullness to us which lines up with the larger catechism, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God wants to communicate his happiness to us. It's, a, it's an incredible thought. And so sin brings fog and disorder. It destroys the shalom that the Lord brings us by the Holy Spirit. So sin brings fog and disorder Jesus brings clarity and wholeness, flourishing. So, so this, 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 John chapter 8, Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And then you say, well, how does that affect it? Later in the same chapter, he says, if you are my disciples, then you will hold to my word. And as you do that, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, so here, here's the light, here's the path, here's the word, we hold to it, sets you free. And then in verse 36, he says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So again, sin brings disorder and fog. Jesus brings clarity. So we're looking at this Psalm 51. We're going through it very slowly. 
Psalm 51 is a psalm written by David after a horrendously crummy, distasteful experience where he's committed adultery, he's committed murder, he's killed other men because of that one murder of, of a man, he's deceived, he's lied, he's at the height of his power, he's walked away from the Lord. And while he has power and he's deceived people and no one knows but God, and while he's lied and no one knows but God, and while he's committed adultery and supposedly no one knows but God, David is absolutely miserable. He's on his throne and he says in Psalm 51, this incredible Psalm, he says, I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. My sin's right here. I see it. I, I see it. And so in an attendant psalm, he says about this experience, he says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. My strength was gone. He said, I was struggling. I was absolutely miserable. Because sin brings disorder, unconfessed, unforsaken, undealt with sin brings disorder and frustration and fog. So in 1950, 1950, there's a woman from, who was born and raised in San Diego, California, named Florence Chadwick, who decided, she trained as a distance swimmer, and she decided to, to try to be the first woman to swim the English Channel from England to France. 16 miles. And so she did so. She did, I think, 14 hours. Long time to swim. Uh, and then two months later, she swam from France to England. So she did both, both ways. And, and being a Californian, she said, uh, I'm going to train to swim, be the first woman to swim from Catalina Island off the coast of Los Angeles to Los Angeles. It's 26 miles. And so she trained, and on the fateful day, she entered the water with a small flotilla of boats around her to scare away the sharks who might want to try to attack her. I'm, I don't know about you, I'm not going to participate in a swim where you've got to scare away sharks. That's just not my idea of fun. But anyway, she did it, and she entered the water, and fog descended, and she was in the water for 15 hours, and she started cramping, and she said, to her coach and her mom, you got to get me out. I can't do this. They said, no, just keep on. Just work through the cramps. Try to get there. So uh, she did. At the 16th hour, she said, I've, I've, I've got to, I've got, I, I can't do it. And so they, they brought her out. Didn't have GPS. They brought her out. They started to the shore. And as they started, the clouds lifted just a bit and they saw the shore. Just less than half a mile away. Less than half a mile. And she said at the press conference, if I had known the shore was there, and if I could have seen it, I would have kept on going. And two months later, entered the water, had the shore in her mind, even though there was fog again, and she completed the 26-mile swim. So I, I say that because sin is like a fog. It keeps you from thinking well. It keeps you from seeing life clearly. It takes away your joy. It takes away human flourishing. And that's what Psalm 51 is really about. And so David, in this midst of great confusion and great consternation of spirit, says in verse 6, Behold, you delight, Almighty God, in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He says, what do I do? 
Where do I go to get rid of this sin? Where do I go to get rid of this fog? Where do I go to get rid of this incredible depression of spirit? Because his sin was exposed. And he says this, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop, I've told you many times now, going through this, is a branch you would dip in the blood of the lamb and sprinkle on people to proclaim them to be clean. Hyssop, you in, the, in Exodus, they put his up on the side and the tops of the door frame so the angel of death would go by when God was taking his people out of Egypt. It is prefiguring or foreshadowing the reality of the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. So David says, where do I go to, to be told that your sins are wiped away, your iniquities are forgiven, that your transgressions are gone? Where do I go? He says, I go to the sacrificial system because the sacrificial system deals with my sin. It shows the power and the presence of God. Jesus fulfills the sacrificial system by his one act upon the cross. And so to, to get rid of this, we, we run to the reality of Jesus. And as he does that, he says this. It's an incredible statement. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He says, look, God, let me, even in the midst of my pain, my sin, my, 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 my deceit, my murder, my adultery, as I run to the reality of the Lamb of God, let me hear joy and gladness. Let, let the bones you have broken in conviction Metaphorically speaking, let the bones you have broken rejoice because of the forgiveness of sin. It's an amazing statement. And as that happens, he makes five requests. We're going to deal with the fifth today primarily, but he says this. Create in me, O God, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. So number one is create in me a clean heart, which means, God, you've got to do it. You've got to create in me a clean heart. I, I, I can't work it up. I, I can't. You've got to give me the compelling desire to run to you. Augustine, early church father said, based upon passages like this, he says, basically, give what you command and then command what you will. In other words, you give me the energy and the power and the motivation to do the right thing and then I will respond. So he says, creating me a clean heart, oh God. And he says, renew a right spirit within me which means give me an unwavering spirit of consistency. And David is thinking, I remember. I remember when I had an unwavering spirit. I remember when I was a kid, 16 years old, and I faced a almost 10-foot mountain of a man who was broad and tall and with a slingshot. I beat him. I killed him. I remember being a shepherd and chasing off lions and bears. I remember having an unwavering spirit as I trusted God, but I'm not there now. I, I've slipped, I've slipped, I've slipped, I've slipped. Some of us are there. You say, well, I remember what it was like 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Give me an unwavering spirit. And then, and then he says this. He says, uh, give me a sense of not grieving the Holy Spirit. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And as believers, we say, Lord, don't let me walk in disobedience or inattention and lose my power and my joy and my purpose and my joy in Christ. And last week, we dealt with, with this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, he says, I've lost my joy because I've walked in disobedience. I've lost the joy. So I ask you, God, to give me the joy again. And then he says this. That's what we're going to deal with today. Sustain me 
with a willing spirit. The fifth request. So, so let me just say this about this little request. This, this is, there's a book I've read recently by a woman named Mary Eberstadt. She's a good writer. And she's interviewed this Catholic thinker and good interviews. But, but he talked about how, how, how Scripture and, and prayers like this, like creating me a clean heart, oh God, is spiritual jujitsu. Let me explain. So you, you're, you're entering into a conversation. You find yourself being drawn to maybe saying unkind things. And so you stop and you get quiet and you say in your heart, Almighty God, create in me a positive attitude in the name of Jesus. Or you, you're looking at somebody, something that's in this lust. Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, in the name of Jesus. Or, or you, you, you find yourself grumpy. Maybe you are, you're having a grumpy day. And you say, restore to me the joy of your salvation in the name of Jesus. Or, or you... You know, you see them? So, so you, this is spiritual jujitsu. You just lift up these prayers. It said, creating me a heart of thanksgiving in the name of Jesus. I mean, that, so, so that, that's what David's doing. In light of the forgiveness of sins, in light of the glory of the sacrificial system fulfilled in Jesus, he is praying these prayers, these, these short little prayers. And, and so we, we come to this, we come to this sustained Sustain in me a willing spirit. Now, the two key words are sustain and willing. To sustain means to lean upon, to place your weight upon, to be, to be carried along. Willing means to have a ready, quick response to the reality of God's will in your life. So what he's saying is, Lord... Please, by your grace, Lord, you've got to do this. You've got to sustain me with a willing spirit. But you've got to sustain me. You've got to sustain me, Lord. I, I can't work it up. So I was reading recently about a marathon in the major cities. Marathon's 26.2 miles. And if you've ever gone to marathons recently or seen them, there is a special group of people who cannot use their legs and they do the wheelchair for 26.2 miles. It's pretty amazing. And if you've ever, if you've ever seen people that, that participate in what they call wheelchair athletics, uh, many times after years, they have a, an incredibly strong uh, upper body, great upper body strength. So in this particular marathon, there was a man who'd done this several times, and he was in a wheelchair, and several miles from the finish line, he blew a tire, blew his left tire. Just boom, it was gone. And, and so he's just on the rim. A tire here, tire here, or tire out front, just on the rim. And, and as, he, as he was going in the marathon, which was an incredibly difficult task, going with, on a rim five blocks from the finish line, the rim kind of crumpled. And, and the chair became unsettled, and he couldn't go. And so some bystanders came along, and they lifted up. They took turns lifting up the chair and just going like this for the last five blocks. And he supplied the energy. And the article said that he was sustained by a group of anonymous bystanders who helped him out. And they said it's a celebration, celebration of community spirit, which is it's true. So here's the problem. That's not what this word means. It doesn't mean that... that God comes along and he helps you. It means that God gives the energy. 
It means that God gives the power. It means that God initiates it. And so we cry out, Lord, sustain me. If you don't sustain, if you don't give the energy, I can't do it. So God, David is just throwing himself upon the mercy of God. And he says, not only creating me a clean heart, but sustain me with a willing spirit. A spirit that's, that's, that's ready to believe and, and turn. So th- this ready spirit is really described well in Psalm 119, which is really about a ready spirit. But Psalm 119 Verses 57 and following, it says, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. You see, that's God sustaining. When I think of my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten, I do not delay. To keep your commandments. So what is it? When I, when I think about the, the, my decisions, when I think about the brevity of life, when I think about how I'm one dumb decision away from making a really bad decision and blowing it, when, when, I, think about, when I think about my life, I, I, I turn my feet to your testimonies and I hasten to do your will. That's a willing spirit. So sustain me with a, a willing spirit. So I'm going to go next 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes. I'm going to talk about how to develop, by God's grace, a willing spirit. And I'm going to be in Psalm 40. And Psalm 40 makes the following statement. This is the first few verses. It's a Psalm of David. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Well, he starts off by saying this. I waited patiently for the Lord. To wait patiently means to look to the Lord with expectation and hope. It means to place yourself in a place where you, you, you look, you trust him. Let me give you a couple of verses on waiting. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says this, No ear has heard, no eye has seen since ancient days a God like you who, who ministers among those who wait for you. See, Isaiah 64, verse 4. Wait since ancient times. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. Isaiah 40, verse 31, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall man up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. So waiting, waiting. New Testament, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him for all those who believe in God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who wait upon him or who look to him, who trust him. So, so you seek God, realize that he's, his blessing comes upon those who look to him. Let me explain this to you. This is, I think, very important. So it's, it's not what some people call a coin in a slot routine. In other words, you put in four coins and you get a, a drink, or you put in three coins and you get whatever. Um, here, here's the way waiting works, the way I understand scripture. 
My, my illustration for waiting is from the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, outside of Jericho, Jesus is walking down the road, and there is a blind man, blind from birth. And in those days, if you were uh, physically not whole, it was considered to be the judgment of God upon your life or upon your family. And so if God has judged you, then the rest of the population really pushed you aside. They considered you a non-person, something of an untouchable. So here's a guy that's been blind all of his life. And his contemporaries think that he's an, a, 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 you know, a social outcast. And so Jesus, he hears that this Jesus is coming down the road. And so he starts crying out, Jesus, son of David. Now, son of David is a term saying, you are Messiah, you're God. So he, he, he got who Jesus was. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. His contemporaries said, be quiet. He's way too busy to give attention to us to outcasts like you. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Jesus stops. He says, bring him here. He jumps up, throws his cloak off. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do? He says, I want to see. Jesus gave him sight. Now, here's what I'm saying. Waiting upon the Lord, brothers and sisters, is putting myself in a place where Jesus is going by and saying, have mercy upon me. Being in the Lord's house with God's people on the Lord's day for in-person worship is a means of crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Get up in the morning or at night and reading the Bible and praying is a means of being in the path and crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When you go to your community group, we go on Wednesday nights, and you sit with people, and you listen, and you build friendships, and you pray, and you talk about the things of the Lord. It's like standing or sitting in the road saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Praying that God would stop and bless you and speak to you and work in your life. But God's got to do it. It's not if we do A, B, and C, boom, it's going to happen. It's we're sitting here and we're trusting the Lord to work in our lives. So, that, so, so he, he starts off by saying, by saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. That's, that's my job. That's your job, to, wait, to look to him, to do what God's called us to do. But, but then he says, the way you develop a willing spirit, he gives, he gives four attitudes or four remembrances that you constantly think about. This, is, this passage has really blessed me. I've been thinking about it. So four things, four things that, that we are to remember and rehearse and think about that will develop in us, by God's grace, a willing spirit. Four things. Number one is this. He said, he said I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Number one. You wait patiently. And the Bible says that God stoops, that's what the word inclines, he stooped down and he heard my cry, my prayer, my cry for help. It is, see, we say these things, and I, I, please, please, please let these things get into your heart. It is amazing to me to stop and say that the great creator of the universe who has no beginning and who has no end hears our prayers as we pray in the name of Jesus. It's amazing to me. I'm going, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that God stoops 
and he hears our prayer. Do I really believe that Jesus is resurrected and he's at the right hand of God in the holy throne room of the Trinity and he's praying for us right now? It's amazing. So, so as, I, as I think about that, I'm going, man, this God who loves me, this eternal God who is glorious and wonderful and happy and complete, stoops. And of course, the, the original, of course, the ultimate way he stooped was in the fullness of time. He stooped and became a man of flesh and blood and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sin. He, he stooped. He identified with our sin. He was tempted in all things as we are, the Bible says in Hebrews 2. Yet without sin, he stooped. So if I'm to have a willing spirit, I've got to think about. Remember, God inclined. He stooped. He, he inclined and he, he, he heard my cry. Secondly, he says, he, he drew me out. He drew me out of the pit of destruction. Out of the miry bog. I think David added out of the miry bog just to reinforce. He pulled me up out of the pit of destruction. Out of, out of the miry bog. Now, now, those of us who are followers of Christ, we believe the gospel in part because we believe that historically there was a man named Jesus who died a real death on a cross for our sin. And this real man, Jesus, was risen from the dead with a real physical body. And hundreds of men saw the resurrected Jesus. And he ascended to heaven, and he's going to come back one day. So we believe the historical record of the Gospels. That's it, in part. We believe this, historically, grounded. But, but one reason I believe in the reality of the Gospel, as I've gotten older, is the pragmatic argument of observing people in this regard. You observe families where Jesus is enthroned and the ripple effects of the generations, and it is good and full of mercy and laughter and hope and purpose. Conversely, you see families who aren't sure what they believe, and they're here and they're there, and, they're, and, and, and there is frustration and a lack of consistency at, at the very best. You, I observe marriages where Jesus is enthroned and where they deal with issues based upon the Bible and they seek to be kind and gracious, both of them, to each other. And they, after sometimes brittle times, they experience forgiveness and it is good and it is glorious. I'm telling you, you get this, if you're married, get this together after you get this together, this. And so there's this, this pragmatic argument. Here's what I want to say to you. If you are, 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 have trusted Christ, don't forget the pit of destruction that he has drawn you out of. Don't ever forget the miry bog that he drew you out of. And even if you've been raised in a Christian home, some of you are raised in Christian homes and you, you've, you've trusted Christ since you were a child, and don't forget where you could have gone 
I've often stopped and say, don't let me forget where I could have gone or where I have come from. Don't, see, I don't know about you, so I'm, when I believe until I was 19, and I look back in high school, I think, thanks be to God, I did not marry some of the girls I dated. It has not gone well with them because they don't know Jesus. And I, I think about how, how there are many people that we know in our community that are smarter than the vast majority of people here. They're more credentialed. They've gone to better schools. They have a more expansive vocabulary. They're able to talk about cultural issues with, with more of a panache. And, and yet their, their lives are kind of off kilter. There, there, there's, not, there's not flourishing. There's not harmony. There's just frustration. And, and I'm and I look, at, I look at us, I look, a lot of us are 1 Corinthians 1 people. God's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the strong. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I, I look at us and I go, you know, we, 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 we're blessed because we're going down this path. Don't ever forget, don't ever forget that he drew you out of the pit of destruction. Out, out of the miry bog. And so... That's very important because we're always standing at a crossroads in decision-making, especially if you're young. You're this crossroads, or maybe a young couple, a young family, the crossroads of decision-making, and, 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 and you've got the Lord's way that, that I think the Bible says leads to flourishing and hope, and this way which, which does not. with a, a young guy the other day and I said, how you doing? And he said, I'm doing well. I said, uh, are, are you dating? Yeah, I'm dating somebody. I really found a young woman I like. I said, well, tell me about her faith. Well, she's not a believer, but she's really nice. And I said, don't date her. Stop it. I said, you're, you're at a crossroads. You claim to know Christ. I said, the Bible says, do not Marry outside of faith. And if by deductive reasoning, we usually marry someone we date. I think everybody here that's been married, that's married, marry somebody that they dated. I mean, if you marry somebody you didn't date, please see me after the service. I'd like to just meet you. So that's just the way it works. Therefore, you only date in the Lord because your heart can be deceived. And that's just one example. So, so I was reading this week, you know, about about Jeff Bezos and this going into space. And listen, I, I love the, the movie, The Bucket List. It's, it is really a good movie. But I kind of get tired of hearing people talk about their bucket list, to be honest with you. And I'm thinking, you know, yes, okay, it's good to have a bucket list, but there is something awaiting us called heaven that makes the Polynesian adventures and Tahiti look like a slum. Think about it. Man, we got, we got something. Anyway, here's Jeff Bezos. They're, they're going, he's, he's, he's spent over a billion dollars the last few years to develop a, what they call a, a, a suborbital space situation. They sent several rockets up, and now they're going to have their first group. I've forgotten how many people are going up for their, the first rocket launch this summer. And they're going to be in this, uh, this thing called... Uh, 
the, the Blue Origin. Mr. Bezos is, Bezos is 57 years old, Amazon guy, suborbital travel. So there, there are seven people, I think, but they're, they're, the, the people that are already signed on paid about a half million dollars each to go into space. And there's a public auction going on for the last seat. And as last Wednesday, this is from Wednesday, last Wednesday, the public auction was up to $3.2 million to be on the last seat. Now, this is what they're going to do. They're going to get, they, have to, they have to go up seven flights in 90 seconds. You've got to be in shape to do that with the spacesuit on. They get on, they buckle in, they blast off, they go 62 miles up above the Earth's atmosphere, they float around for a couple minutes, and they come back down, and it takes 12 minutes. And I thought, what are you going to do? When they, get up, when they come down, what was it like? Man, it was like a, a wild roller coaster. Go to Disney World. I mean, Disney World has some pretty fun roller coasters. It's pretty, Disney World is pretty expensive, but it's not $500,000. But you, you come down and people applaud you and you get a group photo made and maybe you're in some you know, Time magazine or whatever. And, and then you take off your spaceman outfit and you go into your hotel and you sit down and you say, is that it? I mean, is that, is that it? I mean, it's 12 minutes. It was kind of fun, but is that, is that the best that it gets? And you know what? Yeah. And I, I just thought, God, don't let me forget that you drew me out of the pit of destruction out of the Mary box, and you give me hope. You give me the hope of heaven. And the third thing is, he says this. I said, you set my feet upon a rock, and you made my steps secure. How do you develop a will and spirit? You say, Lord, you, you set my feet upon a rock and you made my steps secure. Here, here's the rock and you give me secure, a secure path. Here's the rock, here's the path. Here's, here, you, set, you set me upon a rock and the rock's name is Jesus. And you give me a secure path. And, and, and as I follow that path, there's light and joy and flourishing and hope. I always think about Proverbs 4 verse 18 that says that, that, the, that the, 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 the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So, so righteous path. The way of the wicked man, the unrighteous man, the God-denying man is, is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Listen, there's hope in the Lord. If I'm going to be a, a willing person, I've got to say, Lord, you, you set my feet upon a rock, and it is good. You've given me a secure path. And the fourth thing is this. It says, you put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to the Lord my God. Uh, a new song, a new song of joy, um, a, a song of, of praise. The, the new song that God has put in the mouth of his people who look upon him is not a song about a political party. It's not a song about your alma mater. It's not a song about your familial heritage. Those things are fine. But the new song is a song about the glorious reality of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus. The, the new song goes something like this, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Or on a hill far away, 
stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Or when I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. My riches gained account but loss and I pour contempt on all my pride. You see, you see the, we need to sing a new song. I'm reading some books on spiritual warfare. I want to preach on in a few months. And, but it's, it's interesting. All the, all the books say, when it talks about we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the angels and principalities and powers of the unseen world. It says that they, they all say this, the devil hates good music. You think about it. The devil hates people who sing about Jesus. He hates it. I'm just saying, hey, listen, sing a new song. Even if you can't sing that well, sing. And you sing about the things of Christ. And you, you sing and you're rejoicing and you're, you're glad. If you want to develop a, a, a willing spirit, you place yourself in the, in the place of blessing and, and you repeatedly remember that, that God has inclined his ear, he's, he's, he listens to us, and he humbled himself and became a man. You, you continually remember that he, he drew us up out of the pit of destruction. You, you continually re rejoice, and you, you remember that he's set our feet upon a rock and made our, our steps secure, secure. And, and then you, 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 you sing the new song. He's given you a new song. And, and he says here, more about this later, but, but, but when you live that way and you let your light shine and you love people and you care for them, he says, many will see and reverence the Lord and trust in the Lord their God. Many will see and fear, trust in the Lord who is God. God will use us in our culture to spread the good news. Well, let's pray. Lord, we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. And there is uh, an incredible uh, privilege to represent you. I, I pray that we'd so live in love and serve and care that we would speak the gospel in word and deed. I, I pray that you would remind us that you stoop to hear us. And that you stooped and became a man and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. I pray that you would continue to remind us that you drew us out of the miry bog, out of the pit of destruction. I just thank you that you've put our feet upon a rock that's unchanging. Jesus is unchanging. And you've made our steps secure. I thank you. I thank you that you have given us a new song to sing. I pray we'd sing it well. So stir our hearts. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.